Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe, the podcast series for beginner web developers and general web enthusiasts. Now, introducing your show hosts Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Gaines, and Ed Mann. Hello and welcome to another episode of Three Devs and a Maybe. My name's Ed Mann, and today we are very lucky to be joined by Jimmy Burrell. How you doing, Jimmy? Oh, fine. Hello, Ed. How are you? I'm very good, thank you, sir. It's we were just saying off air, actually. It's, it's probably been a year since our last, since the first podcast we did with you. It has been a while, yes, approximately a year. Yeah, time has flown by. Time has flown by. But yeah, we've been keeping in contact through uh, Twitter, through Twitter messages, as me and you kind of go through the geeking out and everything, talking about all different <laughs> programming languages and databases. Databases. And <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I thought, we've got to get you back on. We've got to talk about all this stuff because um, I'm sure there's someone out there who wants to listen to this. And even not, we just have a good chat, don't we? So it'll be great. Yes, we do. <laughs> who doesn't appreciate a good old geek out? <laughs> well, that is exactly it. Yeah. So I mean, how are you doing, Jimmy? What have you been up to recently? Oh, I'm fine, and so many things that I cannot comprehend them all sometimes. Databases, a little F-sharp, a little Elixir, a little, uh, thanks to you, Postgres, and a little MySQL, and lately, security. Wow, you have been touching on a lot of areas then. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's both good and bad, you know. It's it's so fun, it, is, but... <laughs> <laughs> so is it, is it work-related? Is it kind of like spun on by that, or is it also just your general interest? Some a little work related. The Elixir and F Sharp are just, yeah, my interests. I, I could have uh, picked those as being the interest ones. I can see Try, trying to get them into the workplace. That that's that you find. I find that it's a hobby project. You know, hobbies first, aren't they? These type of languages, and then you slowly. I mean, you've heard the stories. I'm sure, like people be able to bring them into the workplace. So it's uh, yeah, trying so to true. sell them on it. Yeah, the functional programming whole paradigm you know it's coming you can see it it's slowly moving into the workplace and i don't know how long it will take but soon that's it i mean and you can go kind of halfway can't you with just taking the principles i find because you know when you go to these languages you know like like you say exactly. like, like we're going to talk about you know maybe the f sharps and the elixirs and stuff that they obviously are through and through a functional language but you know you can kind of restrict yourself in languages like the Java's, like the C Sharp, well, C Sharp is actually quite good at dealing with these type of things, but, you know, like the Java's, like the PHP's in the world and stuff, and, you know, you can use immutability, you can use, yes. you know, higher order functions and things using array maps and using these collection pipelines type things. So, yeah, you can you can kind of get there and you can, you know, slowly bring it in, like you say, um, but you obviously aren't going to get the full host of things without the actual language. So, yeah. It, it's <laughs> yep, that, that's right. That's it. And you're going to go back to these like, like languages like F Sharp and be like, I really want to use this on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't that be fun yeah oh. it it is it, you you're right you're absolutely right i find the concepts have really improved my whole programming outlook and programming methodology you know immutability uh being able to reason uh better about the code but boy it it is hard to do in some languages, like especially it seems PHP, because it's not set up for immutability or many of the other things. You know, even map and uh, reduce and the like are are sometimes somewhat hard to pull off. I would I would definitely agree with you there, and it's not the nicest syntax. Bless the language, you know. I mean, I I love PHP, but yeah, it's not the greatest um, at that. And I mean, you you go into even languages like JavaScript and stuff, and you feel like ah, this is much nicer. Um, but then still, I mean, 
yeah the array map and you know having to pass it obviously this you know having short closure syntax would be really nice but i don't know whether we were yes. getting that uh speaking obviously <laughs> you know like whether that's a thing that's going to happen uh but yeah i mean taking these principles uh you know and as you say trying to apply them where you can and yeah maybe you some, sometimes you will end up with code that looks quite horrible in a language that if you then transferred that to say the functional language you'd be like oh this is beautiful code so <laughs> exactly yeah, it's weighing it up it's weighing it up you know but now, no. listen, with interest to your um, Crack Joe episodes, uh, I don't know, maybe Joe doesn't appreciate that uh, <laughs> nickname, I'm not sure, but uh, uh, Joe Watkins and his uh, one recent episode, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, where he was referring to the pipe operator in the sense, and uh, it's one, uh, it's not exactly, it's called a right arrow pipe operator in F-sharp, and we probably will talk about that in a moment, but it's one of my favorite constructs, even in Elixir, and and uh, so I listened to that episode and that discussion with interest, and, and I know some people are back and forth on that. I, I, I don't think we're going to get it in PHP, mm. it sounds like, though. Yeah, well, what's your opinion on it? Then? Would you put, would you like it as it I, currently stands in PHP? I do. I do. Uh, uh, would I like the pipe operator? Yeah, the pipe operator in PHP. Yes. Yes, I would because I find that um, in doing F sharp or Elixir, it it does help my thinking and my ability to reason and even my ability to compose in in some instances. Now, I also confess it can get out of hand. I think that's it, isn't it? And I mean, I remember I, uh, when we I did speak to Joe about that was that it is up to the developer, you know, uh, to use it with you know with reason. But as you say, like you know. We are all adults. The whole Python thing of like having visi- public visibility to everything <laughs> is that you should be able to be treated, you know, treat it well. So, yep. yeah, I mean, it's a powerful tool that you could use for good and bad. And it's whether, yes. you, yeah, I mean, I'm sure actually you, you probably can see this in functional languages. I mean, it being used like crazy in F sharp and oh, things yes. like that with code. So, yeah, I mean, maybe it would be, it will be a nice thing. But as you say, hope, I, I hope it, I hope it goes in personally. I mean, I, I do feel it has benefits. Um, but you know, you know, but I do feel also that maybe um yeah maybe just the trouble is is i remember when joe mentioned it actually and and it is that kind of understanding that trying to teach someone that concept of the way you know because everyone's been so yes you're beat you know beaten into them that it's a stack so everything you know builds up a bit and <laughs> right. you know, pop it off and <laughs> then when you actually go into this it's like well actually no this code's going to look completely different but yeah right uh, as you say but whether it pros and cons of it you know but yeah well we'll have to see what the rsc and what you know what the voting goes on that and everything but it's all interesting it's all fun i mean it's great that you know the language php you know does still you know it's got all this traction and people still use it and people still want to you know innovate and you know build on top of it yes a bash user or a unix i should say a unix user would easily grasp that concept because of his work with the command line. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, but, yeah, yeah. The pipe, but not of, every, not every programmer. Uh, and but then maybe probably, that's, yeah, but that's maybe yeah. me being bad there. You know, we kind of well, with me and Joe's, you know, say, me kind of agreeing with Joe with that. Oh, maybe that's a hard concept, but you don't actually have to use it. Again, it's something that is available. You know, it's like exactly. one of those unlock gaming functions. Like, oh, unlock! I can now use this and understand this. So maybe it's fine yep. that it's in the language. 
So, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think really where to start off. Uh, if there is any kind of way that we can kind of go through this in chronological order. But I think it is just kind of a couple of topics that me and you have been, you know, kind of discussing. Like, we're like, oh, this is cool. So true. Oh, you know, this is cool. Because, you know, obviously you, you heard about my closure experience. So you're like, oh, I've been looking at Elixir. And you're like, oh, I'm looking at F Sharp. And it's just like chucking these things around. And then databases, obviously. So I guess let, let's start with F Sharp, I think, is, is a nice way to start, you know. and, and Good. So, so what, what 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 drew you to F sharp? I mean, what what kind of was your you know backstory with that language? Uh, I really had no experience with it or any functional language at the time, and uh, so I just kind of more or less went to the closest thing at hand. I just made almost a a, a split second decision to hey, you know what? I've got an hour. I'm going to try some functional programming. What do I already have installed and close by? And it just so happened I was looking at my Windows box at the moment and uh, decided to try F Sharp. Of course, I'd heard a few things about F Sharp, like, and this is this is kind of goes back to, I guess, the question: What is F Sharp? I had heard that it was OCaml with .NET tagged on or cobbled on or something like that and and you do hear that answer a lot out on the web and mm, there's a grain of truth in that but really after you get into it and you realize wow this language has had a lot of influences like from Haskell and Python and even Erlang and of course some of the best parts of C sharp are going to be in there uh, you you really understand after you've been using it for a while that it's uh, it's much more than OCaml. It's really not even OCaml. That's kind of a misnomer because now I understand that it's uh, a, a complete re-implementation of a Camel-like language. And I've heard Don Syme say that the core of OCaml is in there, but uh, not really OCaml per se. That's really interesting because, uh, so Dom Simon then is the creator then of uh, F-Sharp. Yes. Uh, F-Sharp started off life as a Microsoft research language. It was designed and implemented primarily by Don Simon or originally by Don Simon. Now, there's another fellow that I know less about. Um, I believe his name is Andrew Kennedy, and he did some early work with Don. Uh, I think he was like, there, there was another project that F-Sharp was kind of, drew from or help based upon it was called generics with net and i'm really not familiar with that project at all but uh but andrew kennedy and don sign both designed and developed that and so i think that's at least partially how andrew comes into the picture so so looking at f sharp and then you can see maybe on the java stack on the jvm you know you've got other languages like closures and you've got the languages like scala and things like that so it's typically it's very similar to that isn't it that it compiles down into il the intermediate language similar to exactly yes. well, absolutely what you know c sharp will compile down into um you know, that's exactly right yeah so you can in, in theory use a bit of f sharp a little bit of c sharp in the same project and yes. tackling the, the problems you know that it solves really yes, well yes you can Yes, you can, and uh, and I've uh, while I've not done that personally, I have used um, obviously .NET things and .NET libraries, which are easy to do from F Sharp. Um, 
But yeah, most of the time I try to write just in a purely functional manner because I'm learning. I'm definitely not an F-sharp expert. I've, I've only been, oh, I don't know, acquainted with the language for, I don't know, maybe six months. I, I haven't stopped to look and then, you know, only afternoons, evenings and weekends. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I love it. It's uh, it is a hybrid. It's not a purely functional language. It's uh, what they call a functional first language, and I think what that means is Microsoft set everything up to make it easy to fall into the pit of functional success. Like everything is immutable by default, uh, so on and so forth. You can, obviously, since you can draw on .NET, you can work with objects. Um, you can program totally object-oriented in, a, in an object-oriented fashion in F-sharp, but it is harder. It's uh, really almost like the inverse of trying to program functionally in PHP. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, it's almost like, yeah, it's like you don't really want to do it. As you say, it's the first thing is do it functionally. You know, go this way. We're going to make it hard, as you say. Yeah, that's, that's a really great way of that kind of thinking about it. And and so, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned that it's OCaml influenced. Um, have you ever played with OCaml or is it kind of, you know, you're learning OCaml through F sharp, really? That would be the only OCaml I'm learning because I have not tried it yet. I... I have tried many other functional languages since coming to F-Sharp. Obviously, I've mentioned Elixir, but uh, Clojure, for example. Um, I had looked at and stopped looking at Clojure by the time you started getting into it. <laughs> and it's, it's I, I, I like it as far as it goes, but... Uh, for me, you know, it's great that we have all these different kind of programming languages because some work better for some people than others. And uh, all the parents just blow my mind. <laughs> oh, good old lisps, eh? Good old lisps. Yes. I think that, that is one thing, yeah. It, it is, it can, yeah. I mean, the beauty of it that it, it's fundamentally, you know, the data is code, code is data, and that, you know, with closure that, and all lists really, that, you know, you can really it's such simple building blocks but the code can look quite scary when you just see the open and closes of these yeah curly braces or these break uh, parens and you're like oh dear what well, this is messy yes. this doesn't make sense until you break it apart and i know a great ide helps uh loads in that manner you know in that capacity and and ability to do that and and i never really spent the time to uh you know go so far as to download Emacs and really get into it. I did play around a little bit with Ratchet and I like the concepts and but I never used it long enough to get down into the type system of Lisp and and things of that nature. I I kind of just made a circle there and came back around to my F sharp. Well I think that's great though I've been having the you know kind of the you know taking the time to look in and invest as you say like there's so many languages and they're so different and they're so great and they've all got their pros and cons and you know your own personal opinions and then general consensus of what they are so yeah with f sharp then what what are the selling points to it why would you i I know it's obviously it's a functional first language but yes what what would you use it for like i suppose that's kind of one thing that people would think like why would i not use c sharp for everything right well one thing C-sharp does have types, of course, but F-sharp is a more strongly typed language, and maybe more in that sentence is not exactly correct because I'm not a type expert, but I know for certain F-sharp is a strongly typed language, 
and it has a way to extend its types. Uh, it has a type keyword and uh, a little something that's different from many strongly typed languages, I think. F-sharp has a um, type inference, and so for anyone who, don't know, who doesn't know what that means, it, it basically means that the programmer doesn't have to decorate or document or declare their types. The compiler will figure that out for you. So uh, it, it really has a dynamic language feel almost sometimes. And uh, speaking of that, uh, lots of people, you know, F-sharp does have a REPL, another unusual mark of a of not necessarily functional languages, but strongly typed languages. And a lot of people use F-sharp for F-sharp scripting. And uh, I do not, personally. I do use the REPL for, you know, exploratory type programming. But, uh, yeah, a lot. Of, I say I don't use F-sharp scripting. I guess I use it all the time with a tool called Fake. Some, some tools use F-sharp scripting. And Fake is one of the build systems for F-sharp. It's, uh, you know, the analog or to make you know, it's a it's a play on words there, I guess. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> uh, I mean, so yeah, because so is I, I don't know whether this is. I mean, so maybe you know, it's like Haskell. Does Haskell have a, a REPL? I don't know whether it does because this is quite interesting. You know, I do not know. Yeah, because it's interesting that, uh, you know, F-sharp, you say, has a REPL, and, and I love the REPL. I think that's one win where you get into the lisps and things like that. You can just play around and explore, yes. um, you know, and see different ideas. And, you know, people do have this REPL design and REPL testing kind of feel, you know, where you can play around with something, seeing if it's going to work and compose it together. And especially with things like, yeah, because, I mean, looking, I've, I've, I've only had like maybe a couple of weeks, maybe, uh, you know, sadly, of experience with F-sharp, just playing around with it. Because once I, once I knew that, I think it oh we've got to get you back on the show i was like i really need to look into f sharp you know I, I, so i put down the closure for a little bit and i've gone deep into like look trying to understand some of the f sharp concepts and yeah I, the type system is just beautiful i mean oh it, yes having a good type system um you know i, I know i've explained I, I i've mentioned it on the podcast before and this is the whole types first test thing and everything and you know i think that you have both have both I, I say why not take both don't think you just have types and or just have right tests. you know and the type system is so good and so mate you know you can mimic data you know dependent types and all this and you can have i mean we're going to talk about you know i mean the concept of you know making illegal states unrepresentable is one thing that people really want to drive you know when they're using yes. like haskells and the you know really heavy type systems um, yes. is to try and make it that you know i can't make an illegal state it will you know it's not possible within my yes. system you know and Allowing your compiler and you know your your type you know definitions to really aid that and really kind of you know make sure that doesn't happen. Um, it's a, it's it's a, a concept that blows my mind. It really, really is. Like, me too. <laughs> me too. I look at this and I'm like, I I never thought of a type like this. You know, I I am very much you know kind of thinking of the primitive types where you know you've got your ints, floats, and all this, and then maybe the abstract data types, which in in our concepts are just classes. You know, just instances right. of classes. I mean, that's really where I was. You know coming in and, and yeah. then delving into a bit of haskell and then delving into a bit of f sharp and you're like okay there's all this this is insane <laughs> this is absolutely amazing mind blown you know that you can essentially just make your own types and you can yes. create your own world world um i mean one yeah. thing that i find that f sharp does do and and i'm reading some bits about it is that it really tries to make trying it tries to allow you to create a good dsl for your language and your problem um have absolutely. you found that Absolutely. One of the, 
you know, getting back to this whole thing of computational expressions, um, meta programming, and uh, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, oh man, types and the whole concept of, like you said, you have types, then you you have primitive types, and then abstract types, and then maybe constructing your own types. I'm just to the point where I am experienced with wrapping a primitive type in a to define a type in F sharp. And but yeah, going beyond that and actually using types to make uh, certain states or illegal states unrepresentable. It, yeah, that blows my mind. And I, I, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I I have actually seen some code where. You know, some of these concepts are actually present. Well, you can do some of these like illegal representation, like, you know, legal state unrepresentation. That is a very badly way, way of wording it. But, you know, you can do this in languages like Java and things. So it is possible with the languages we have now. There was some crazy kind of tomfoolery that you could do with generics and things. Uh, but you probably wouldn't want to do that. Again, it's using the right language for the, t- for the job that you have in it, you know, you have to have to do. So, yeah, I mean, one thing then with F sharp um, that you did touch upon is the fact that it's firstly functional but it can do the oop stuff um and how is that how does it how does it look in in because obviously it's coming from the ocaml language and i'll put some show in the show notes some you know links to that so you can people can kind of get a feel for what the language looks like and i'm just wondering what does the oop the i love to just say in the word oop uh what does the oop you know actually really look like in this in this language it it looks uh, very similar but just a little bit different from an object in a normal, like, say, C-sharp or um, PHP even, you can, uh, one way to construct an object is with types, for example. We were talking about types, so you can say, like, type person, and then parent name, colon string, age, colon, int, close parent, and then uh, equal, and then you use a keyword called member to declare, say, all of your instance variables. So like member x dot name or yeah, x dot name equal name. And this gets back to and then member x dot age equal age. And it gets back to wrapping a primitive type. So yeah, but it is a little clunky. <laughs> it looks a little, you know, and, 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 and with these, like, because actually, because there are like the, co- the concepts of records um, and tu- and tuples in there, and exactly, and this is all immutable. Like, uh, is it very much like the closure world where I have data structures that are by default immutable, and I can treat, yes. you know, understand, and so that is the same in F sharp. Then it's immutable yes, first. and it's much more elegant and easy to use than an object. Uh, discriminated unions then come into play, and you can use those to really make your tuples and um, what else were we talking about records. what other kind of oh, yeah, records <laughs> yeah to to really fully utilize your records and tuples um, and uh, your other pattern matching capabilities that the f sharp language comes into brings into play uh, discriminated unions are a type that uh, kind of gathers all those things up into one structure mm. and it's a common pattern in f sharp to to use a discriminated union to not exactly wrap those types but utilize those types in a pattern matching function 
Right. Okay. Uh, so, you, so is it similar? Because I mean, going back to PHP, uh, we have this concept of going to be having union types where we'll, we'll be able to, and also um, intersect types where we'll be able to say either that or that, that and that, and things like that. So, is that a very is that similar there then? When you're going to be able to, that's how you yes. just, you're, you're essentially on the fly making a new type. Well, you're saying it could either be one of these types and things like that. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, you have the concept of some. And F sharp and none, and you, those are utilized uh, very uh, predominantly when you're using uh, pattern matching and discriminated unions to contain tuples and records and pattern match. Well, you you have actually brought it up. Then you you were the one that brought this up. You brought the option. You brought the sum, the none. You've brought in monads. <laughs> oh um, yes, yes. You've brought in the M word, and you know you did mention computer, you know, computation expressions before, and. And you know what? I mean, I've I've tried my best throughout the years to try and understand monads and try and understand the concepts and functors and things like that. And and I, I feel that I slowly get, you know, a little bit closer and then I go back and I'm like, what? You know, and then I go back again and I look again. And for the beginner, some some of the, I think the best thing to do really is to understand, not understanding all the category theory and all those. Fun- I mean, it's great to try and understand that because it's really fun and geeky, but really what you know what can i use this for what's the practical use case and and one you did say there is the option monad is is the concept of some yes. and none so and you mentioned obviously there as well uh pattern matching which is another win in a language such as this so how yes. how do you use some and none uh some of course is the concept of well in an f sharp pattern matching construct and it would be better if I had one up on screen. I should have, <laughs> I should have thought of that. Um, it's kind of hard to it is explain. Hard, yeah. you, you can kind of deconstruct can audio. You, you can, that, that is one <laughs> thing. Like, yeah, finding with audio and podcasts is not the best sometimes to explain code. Really, I, I guess the easiest way to say it, without getting too bogged down in the details, is it's just like it sounds. You're 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 stepping down like a case statement through um, many possibilities and you want to test for in your pattern some of this or some of that and then as a uh, analogous to the default in a case statement in PHP perhaps none if that's an in fact valid state would wind up your pattern matching construct and and pattern matching you know I I mean I first uh, learned about pattern matching in Scala um, and the concept of being able to, you know, destructure. So essentially, it it allow it, it is like a yeah, it's a souped up switch statement. Really, you can think of that allows yes. you to deconstruct types. Um, you know, it allows you with as you say with the sum. You know, that I can say sum, and you're able to deconstruct the, the actual value it exactly. holds into a variable that you can then use within you know the associated you know whatever happens when that's the case. Um, it allows you not. I mean, it allows you with anything really to be able to deconstruct these things. And and we'll put in the show notes again like some examples of this. But pattern matching is a beautiful, beautiful thing where you have these kind of you know the typical thing of where you'll be doing things such as testing for types instance of this or something and you want instance of this and then i also want to break it apart and do something with that and all this where you can just define it in this elegant switch like statement it's a really nice thing and it's one of those things where you're like i really wish this was in languages that i use on a day-to-day basis because it has so much power and it's so succinct in the way that it displays the problem that you're trying to solve it's brilliant absolutely yeah talk going back to monads for a second and i'm just... You're bringing it up. You're bringing it up again. 
<laughs> I'm just beginning to get something of an understanding of one. But uh, I think the first understanding or the first example of one in use that I looked at and understood was in a, an F-sharp, well, framework, I guess you would call it a framework, uh, called uh, Suave or Suave I.O. I guess it depends on where you're from, <laughs> how you pronounce that. But, uh, uh, yeah, the... I will put this in the show notes. Uh, I'll send you the link. Uh, Suave.io is the website, and it's a it's a web framework written by Henri uh, Jordan. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But uh, but anyway, yeah, it's and the definition that I don't know if this is really correct or not. But the the way I think of it in my mind is. A monad is really nothing more than saying, take these two functions, execute the first one, and take its return value and give it to the second one. And and that's one of the primary patterns used in Suave or Suave when it uh, allows your, um, when it's responding to your web requests. It's a, it's a really fantastic framework, too. And and you should look at yeah, that. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. Absolutely. Because <laughs> it's actually really interesting where I may have done the, I did the wrong thing of looking at Monad and just Wikipediaing it and then like getting blown by the category theory kind of concepts and all that. And, and yeah. actually, you know, you're like, oh God, you know, what is this? And <laughs> then you have Haskell, uh, which, you know, again, very much sides on the whole concepts of knowing this mathematical stuff you know essentially yes. you know and yeah it really can blow your mind a bit and you realize oh i've got the io monad and all this and and like you said like actually to me personally the best examples i've had are the f sharp ones like the ones i saw this last couple of weeks i was like this is absolutely like this this does you know what yeah. i already <laughs> knew by trying to decipher a lot of this kind of understanding all this complicated stuff and that understand you know learning it through computation expressions and through f sharp really did open me up thinking this is great this is this makes sense actually yes um, and it is true it's, it's exactly what there's been a, there's loads of different ways and, and there's so many different blog posts and articles and discussions on how to explain it and it's almost like this you know you either understand it or you don't understand it and you have to kind of pass through the gate of understanding it and you're like oh now I, it's and, you know it enlightens you you know but for me like like you actually jimmy it is it's just do that then do pass it to that and there's a you know for me it's that there's a bit of indirection in between um you know that it does something in between yes. so you know you have your function you do you have something it then will do something it, with that, you know, in the background, mascar, you know, you're, you're kind of hiding that, masquerading that, you know, whatever happens, whatever it does, and then it will do whatever, you know, afterwards, or it may not, you know, you don't know, you don't care, because you just care about what <laughs> you're doing, right. and, and that's exactly what the option monad for me is, because the option is some or none, so, you know, it's this concept of getting away from nulls, getting away from yes. the checks of nulls, getting away from the null pointer exceptions, just this concept of null, which even the guy who created null says it's the billion dollar, you know, it's the worst invention right. ever. Um, uh. You know, but we all have nulls and we all do these checks for them. And it's codifying and declaring, uh, you know, an optional saying, okay, this option, you know, maybe fetching a user. I optionally may get back that user. I don't know if I've got that user. That's an external thing from me. I can't be sure. You know, what you would then do typically is, well, how would you do it in imperative? You'd probably do a fetch. You'd either throw 
throw an exception, I can't right. find this guy, or I'd return null or return false or something. Yes. And, you, and you'd let the client then have to deal with the problem. But mm-hmm. instead of, say, with the option, what you do is you say, I optionally could return you a user. And now, now the type, now is it, you know, the type gives you, okay, it's optionally going to return me a user. So I may get a user. And it's now within the mon, it's the monad concept of having a container where it, the container may contain the user or it may contain none in this case with this option monad. So, you know, what I'll do is now do application apply bind in what they call it in the monad terms is I'll, I'll say, okay, we'll do this to it. You know, like, you know, in the case of, okay, optionally do, you know, if I have to get the user then in this case, I mean, I don't, I don't really have to do any checks to say, oh, is if the user's there or not. I just say, okay, with the user, then pass it to this or, you know, return it, do things like that. Or maybe with none, don't do anything or say, but it's the don't options. Don't do anything. That's return it. Return a blank string. That's it's absolutely on it. the client or something. That's it. Yeah. And, and it's the options, you know, you, you're essentially using the abstraction to handle that case. It now takes away the pain of that and it's providing yes. you with, another layer uh which it then deals with and, and it's a beautiful thing and and actually the f sharp uh there was a you know really good f sharp i think it's f sharp for fun and profit had some really good oh yeah had some really good documentation because oh, i'm i'm gonna have to sorry go ahead no 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 i, I was like you're probably gonna say <laughs> this, yeah, guy's, this guy's name i'm gonna i'm gonna attempt it scott washlin i think Washel- yeah, I think you, is that yeah, how you say his name? You're better off doing it than me. I I I I butcher names so badly. <laughs> Scott Scott Sight was the <clears throat> excuse me was the first um, F Sharp website that I ever came upon, and boy was that a great thing because his site is a tour de force of all things F Sharp. Uh, I mean, he he must have the content of at least two or three books worth absolutely in his in in that very site uh, f sharp for fun and profit and i have learned so much from him and i would just like to uh you know say cheers to yeah. scott absolutely for, absolutely wow. yeah because uh, i mean yeah as you say because he, he mentioned in it the cps the it's the um continuation passing style that again was another aha moment to me where yeah you're essentially just apply you're essentially just telling it do this next like you're giving it up to the, the yeah. option the monad in this case the, uh-huh. you know the, the actual thing you're invocating what you want to do next now it's up to that if it does it or not so you could kind of think of it and i'm bringing jQuery into but you know how we typically do on success on success, you know how we yes. deal with this you do this you build up these chains and you're going to build up this you know oh once you've done that then do this oh if you if you fail on that run that instead and you're giving the code that you, you you're giving the action that you want to be to actually occur but you don't know whether it's going to happen or not because it's not up to you That's to actually right. execute that and it's and that, Every Ajax call. That's pretty much it. Absolutely. You know, and you have to deal with promises. I mean, that really is kind of, you know, this is a similar s- sort of structure. Um, and yeah, and, and then that looks ugly, though. And you can, as you say, yes. you get into this callback hell. <laughs> so you have things such as like an F sharp, um, you know, the ability with pattern matching to be able to destructure easily these kind of, you know, sums and nuns. And, and also actually just the because it was really nice to see that, F, you know, again, in his in his uh, posts uh, that, yeah, essentially all that actually happens is it's just syntactic sugar. Some of the do notation style things that you can actually because do notation comes from the Haskell world. But, you know, this do kind of notation, which allows you to, you know, really use monads again with the CPS style. But in a nice kind of iterative, you know, imperative form where you're going, duh, 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 okay, that's it. So, yeah, I mean, how have you found <laughs> using these, you know, like the, the, the computation expression syntax? 
You know, and I have the benefit, I have to say, of not having looked at Haskell yet. So bear that in mind. <laughs> uh, I fully intend to, and I keep, uh, I don't know, I just, uh, I keep playing with F-sharp or whatever, but I haven't looked, I haven't gotten around to Haskell yet. I've heard a lot about it, as well as Idris, another strongly, strongly typed language. And uh, what I've heard about it really blows my mind. But back to computational expressions and, and something we intended to talk about earlier but uh, kind of glossed over, which is like uh, metaprogramming or, you know, computational expressions plays a large part in that. And DSLs and F-sharp is used. We, we never – we I kind of – Passed by your question of how is F sharp used, uh, or what is it good to use for? And mini DSLs is one of the best things, or one of the most prominent things that F sharp is used for. Maybe not prominent, but certainly widely used for. Uh, and you can see this in the language itself, um, as well as computational expressions in the form of type providers, and. Uh, uh, type providers, we we may talk about them in a minute if we if we want to, but but yes, they are in essence they're something that automatically provides types and properties and methods on your data. Uh, so whether that's a database or or even a JSON file. This is something that you got me very intrigued with. When you sent this to me, you were like, oh, and it's, you know, type providers have been really interesting with databases. I was like, ooh, what's this? And yeah, yeah. So, what, what, yeah, so what actually is then a type provider and how have you been using it? And yeah, and everything around type providers. Oh, man, they're fantastic. So everyone knows it, that has ever seen a Microsoft product, what Visual Studio is, uh, I mean, ever seen, ever programmed with a Microsoft product, what Visual Studio is, and and its world-famous tools, you know, especially in the form of IntelliSense and dot programming. People refer to, oh, yeah, I just have to type uh, the beginning of a, you know, That's it. <laughs> class call or whatever and hit the period key or a dot, and then I get the, you know, I get the completion well, you can think of, if you're trying to visualize what type providers do, that's exactly what they do, only they do it for your data. And now, to put it more, a uh, little bit more technically, uh, what F-Sharp is doing in that instance, and, and I really don't understand the underpinnings of this, but it's basically, you can think of it as doing type inference on your database and giving you the tools to do dot programming with uh, the hierarchies of your data. Well, maybe that's not exactly correct, but you can think of it. Yeah, that absolutely. Way. Yeah, I would say that's a great definition of it because, yeah, I mean, it, and it's, and I, sh I should actually say that one thing that I thought was, like, I'm thinking, oh, how is this doing? It's like scaffolding, generating all this horrible code. How is it, you know, how is it generating these things on the day? But it's doing none of that. It's doing this all, you know, dynamically. That's correct. Which yeah, is great. It's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. Um, and it does, yeah, as you say, a good job of being able to, you've got a data set. Here's the data set. Please give me a nice way of being out essentially, you know, using that data set. To and drill down. That's mm -hmm. it. Absolutely. And and one thing, so I haven't actually had the chance to actually kind of play around with it. It's only been really kind of looking at documentation for it. But how does it deal with them with the types? And so it infers the types or, or has it got the ability to work out from like different, you know, like say JSON, different type, you know, metadata about yes. the, you know, does it work out those types? 
and you know, I'm sketchy on this. I do not know the underpinnings. I'm assuming that F-sharp uses its type inference engine to extract this type, uh, these type inferences. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I feel sure <laughs> that if it looks at a JSON file, that it's going to take everything in that file into account with regard to types. And similarly, in a database file, I feel sure that you know, it knows the MySQL primitives, and so when it looks at those fields and columns and rows, that it is using that uh, those declared those MySQL types to translate to you know the best F sharp type match. Ah, you know, <laughs> it's brilliant. I just, yeah. I just, uh, that's all I. I don't. I would say that's all I know, but I really don't even know that. I just know it's so much fun and so easy to use it i think that's it and as you say for exploring and like explorative kind of programming being able to see what you can do with data um and having that ability to as you say just use period you know dot you know programming you know where it's like oh what, what what can i use here oh i can use that oh i've got that and things like that and i mean is this something then that's only available in f sharp not available in c sharp it isn't you're correct mm. <sighs> As far as I'm aware, it's not available in C-sharp or any other language that I've run across. Uh, I should give a shout-out to Ross McKinley. Again, maybe I'm not saying the name exactly correctly, but uh, Ross has been instrumental in writing many of the F-sharp type providers, like for MS SQL, MySQL. Uh, I don't know exactly how many he's written, but I know... Uh, if you go to his um, website, and I'll have to get you that link, uh, yeah, he's got a ton of information on how to write your own F-sharp type provider. And I've looked at it. It's uh, yeah, Type providers break down into two categories, and I don't know that we need to go that deep or that far off into it. But suffice it to say, uh, there is a generative F-sharp type provider, and... Uh, you can see all of the details on his website. Yeah, I bet you would really be interested in yeah, that. But that sounds great. I'll definitely, what, I'll definitely be checking that out. CSV JSON streams, um, like you know, APIs, uh, XML. I, I, I can't even think of how many things it's applicable to. That's but absolutely it amazing. It is amazing. Yeah, and could you could you mention the F sharp data? Uh, is it that a library or is that a it is it's a library and definitely include that link in the show notes but uh, it's on github at fsharp.github.io i remember that brilliant uh, and well so yeah we've got those uh, you know we've got the ability then so to kind of you know use these type providers and everything and and there is like another kind of going back into the computational expression world um i don't know whether you've had any uh, experience with the either either monad using either no, I have not. Ah, see, that, that is another one where I've been looking into it. And it's either is a great way of dealing with, say, error cases, you know, where you want to deal with a happy path of going either do that or, okay, there's an error. Oh, yes. I think um, in Elixir, which I have much less experience with, it's uh, this is the analog or the equivalent is the with monad. Right. Ah, really interesting. That's interesting because okay. You, so you've brought up now Elixir, um, and with <laughs> yes. with F sharp, um, F sharp's concurrency paradigms. Like, have you had a had Indeed. you had a chance to play around with the different concurrency paradigms in F sharp? Just just the slightest bit. Um, as you say, 
there's a lot of influence from, well, Erlang, the the father of, or the predecessor <laughs> of, maybe, I don't know, Elixir. Elixir is really a new language, they say, and but it does, it is built upon Erlang, of course. But uh, yeah, the um, the whole concurrency, well, it's hard to say the whole concurrency model because F-Sharp really has several different concurrency programming models, but you can see the influence in uh, like the one of the concurrency uh, models in F-Sharp is the actor model. So message queues, passing messages with uh, two actors, and uh, the, the model is termed in F-Sharp mailboxes. So anybody who's played around any with um, Erlang will recognize that and will recognize the bang syntax. So let bang equal, and then you're off to the races uh, asynchronously. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of influence from Erlang. Uh, I, I maybe, you know, for all I know, there's some Elixir influence, but but since it's come along after F-sharp, maybe not. Yeah. I, I don't know the, what the story there is. <laughs> That's really interesting that it, it, it has these different paradigms because, I mean, is that, uh, I don't know whether you know, like, is that kind of... Um, intentional like is it kind of a, a not a toy i wouldn't say a toy language like a language that all the people all the researchers just like these are cool concepts that we want in a language that we can actually use on the cli yeah you CLI, know I, sorry. I don't i don't really know the full history of f sharp but uh it does have several concurrency paradigms so like we we talked about that one uh the um the actor model, and it has something very similar to C sharp's async await, and that deals with uh, that uses uh, computational expressions, doesn't it? As well, that's again yes, used to taking advantage. It does. Yeah, yep. and so you can say like things like uh, async dot runs synchronously and async dot await event and things like that, and it has a it also has an and I'm really getting off in the weeds of my knowledge now, but a reactive, it has some constructs for doing some reactive Functional programming. reactive programming. That blows yes. my mind. That is a one, yeah, that, that is something very cool. And yeah. it's really cool that a lang. I mean, that, that is really a beautiful thing that on, you know, the CLR that we can, you can actually use a language and use these concepts, you know, I mean, exactly. that's the, it's a beautiful thing. And, and, and what, Split these streams. Map them down. Oh, absolutely crazy, bonkers stuff. And, and yeah. what is, what's the setup like then for F-Sharp and the tooling around it? Because you did mention Visual Studio. Yes. Uh, and, and, of course, uh, there is a distinction to be made between F-Sharp and Visual F-Sharp. And I, I did not know this or understand this for a long time, but the Microsoft, well, backing up just a little bit, uh, F-Sharp is not owned by microsoft and that that came as a little bit of a uh, surprise to me yeah i would think they would love to get their hands on that <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it 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 is an open source language it's not owned by microsoft it's not owned by anyone uh the f-sharp foundation a non-profit organization uh helps or maybe primarily steers or guides the direction of f-sharp microsoft is a contributor to F-sharp and probably, I'm just guessing here, has an influence in the direction the language takes. Uh, uh, but for 
for and by large the open source community is uh, the I think I'm correct on this the predominant contributor code wise and always has been. So with that background, yeah, v- when you see Visual F Sharp, that's a Microsoft product. So Visual F Sharp, Visual F Sharp tools, which by the way are great, uh, all come. Um, not exactly out of the box. Visual F Sharp does come out of the box with Visual Studio, but Visual F Sharp tools are now an add-on, and I think that you know so they can stay more up to date than just with every Visual Studio release. So you can install those via NuGet. Uh, but F Sharp, being open source, uh, it has always been open source. You know. Microsoft is a new Microsoft now. Everything at Microsoft is now open source. (laughs) But F-Sharp has always been open source. It's not a recent release. So uh, maybe due to that, I I don't know the complete backstory on this, but F-Sharp is cross-platform, 100% Linux, uh, you know, Windows, of course, and Mac, and always has been. Uh, that's, you know, not a big deal now with Microsoft releasing everything and everything being cross-platform on Microsoft now. But, but yeah, F-Sharp always has been. So, consequently, most, well, a lot of tooling has grown up around F-Sharp on alternate platforms mm-hmm. from Windows. So, like on the Mac, on Linux, um, and then there are some recent cross-platform tooling as well, like Atom, the uh, you know the HTML and CSS and JavaScript-based editor. Um, there, in particularly, is uh, a set of plugins for it called Ion IDE, and we'll, we can put that link in the show notes. Ion IDE dot io, and um, by uh, not coincidence, I'm sure, but uh, Visual Studio Code, Microsoft's, you know, cross-platform yep. tooling that runs on the Mac and Linux. It also uses the Ion IDE set of plugins for F Sharp. Of course, good old standard Vim that works with everything and is cross-platform. My tool of choice, mostly, most of the time. <laughs> I will confess that I do not use it for F Sharp. Uh, on the Mac, which is is my primary machine, I use Xamarin. Used to be Xamarin uh, Mono Develop, but now since Microsoft bought Xamarin, yep, it's all open source too. So now I use Xamarin Studio, and it's also cross platform. It's right, you know, for Linux, Mac, or Windows, Xamarin Studio. You can use that to develop F Sharp, and yeah. You know, this world has gone completely mad and open source. It really has, hasn't it? And, and it's because so you mentioned there that F. I think F Sharp didn't it come to be in like two thousand five or something like that, wasn't it? Really? Yes, their right? first their first uh, release as a part of Visual Studio was ah, Visual Studio right. twenty ten, and that was when oh, I can't remember the gentleman's name who was the Microsoft employee who was tasked with you know taking the open source research language and packaging it for and, Microsoft. And has it always, so the F-sharp, the language, has it always been a language that 
uh, compiles down you, you, onto the CLR? Is that is that like it's primarily you know? Yes, job? right. As my understanding, yes, right from the very beginning, it it was a .NET based language and did compile down into IL. Yeah, on the so, CLR. Uh, and so being open source, then it would always from the off then have to deal with mono and things like that. So it's always had the benefit then of being able to like yes. deal with the fact that these are just different. Because I know that Clojure was one language that. Oh no, sorry, Scala actually was one language. I think it was even yes. Scala. Yeah, Scala was one language that tried to do both, didn't it? I think. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm right. I'm thinking it. it was. Yes, yeah, I think it tried oh, to do. Oh, I see. I did not know that. And they also tried. Or maybe it was Clojure. I'm going to look back now and think, oh, I should. But yes, I I think I do remember hearing something about a .NET version of Clojure that was. Yeah, that's it. So, yeah, it was Clojure that they they started on both. They thought, no, this is great. We can use both. But I think, yeah, Yeah. the project has really kind of taken up steam into the JVM. And I think that's mainly what Rick Hickey actually uses. So that's obviously what's got most of his attention. But, yeah, so the language then, F-sharp, is a CLR language, um, a mono language. And actually... It'd be really interesting because I'm completely out of the Microsoft world, the, the eco space, the, the whole. I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with the fact that they are very much into pushing open source stuff now. But what's the kind mm. of story about that then? So what, you know, what's now open source? What, you know, what's happening with Mono? What, what's happening with this whole .NET, you know, core? Yeah, I'm probably not the best spokesperson for Microsoft because, you know, I have been in the open source world for foo. Yeah, I was a strictly Windows guy and Windows programmer up until around, you know, from back forever until around the year, oh, 2004-ish, something in that. And then I went over to the open source side or the dark side, as the Microsoft people would <laughs> have said back then. The light or the dark then. side, whatever yeah. way you, yeah, either way, yeah. wherever you're talking to. Uh, and, uh, and hadn't looked back at Microsoft until maybe... A couple of years ago, and uh, I'll t- but I'll take a swing at it. Said, you know, for whatever reason, perhaps because they saw their developer share deteriorating or or whatever, Microsoft obviously decided uh, consciously at some point to uh, really take open source more seriously, and now they have gone so far as to release. Let me see. All of their compilers? Yeah, I think so. The C-sharp compiler, the F-sharp compiler, um, not just the managed code compilers, but the new versions of the C-sharp compiler like Rosalind, which compiles down to native, is also open source. This is the next version of the C-sharp compiler, um, which I understand is really... uh, almost complete and and can be run today on your um on your machine quite quite well with with very few if any you know uh, seg faults or whatever but um yeah and not only that but all their frameworks the the almost the whole dot net ecosystem there are there are, it would probably be easier to list the things that <laughs> they haven't done yet. They are not open sourcing. You know, they're not open sourcing Windows, the OS, the Windows specific parts, I should say. You know, obviously, .NET is a part of the OS in the, in the sense that that's what you develop apps with. But, uh, oh, yeah, the whole .NET framework practically. 
That's amazing. I mean, that is a complete shift, isn't it, of what they, you know, have been doing for years. Um, yes. And, and so now that I guess because when Mono came about and Mono, you know, you know, kind was that was there any help from Microsoft on the Mono project before? You know, was there any kind of, oh, no, hey, this is great that you're I mean, I'm sure they weren't thinking that they were like, yeah, Windows. you know, when, I remember when Mono, when Miguel came out and said, we're going to do an open source implementation of the .NET platform. I mean, like, boom, yes. from from <laughs> zero, from scratch. And my understanding is, in the early days, no, there was no help. And and maybe... That must have been so hard. That must you know, have been... Yeah, yeah, just think of the amount of code they oh. had to write. And there were, you know, 10, 12 guys, not even that many at first, versus the gigantic... Microsoft That's it, the secrets they hold and yeah trying to trying to you know kind of reverse engineer what actually happens yeah yeah it's a crazy and project there you know there was a good spec it wasn't open it was a published spec so Miguel could work from that but still you know implementations are going to be different now uh, interestingly enough I've heard um, Miguel say and I really wasn't aware of this uh, with the purchase by Microsoft that uh, Mono is more a client-focused oh, okay. .NET implementation, whereas Microsoft's is a more server-centric. And so there are good parts to be had on both sides of the coin. And so like the day that Microsoft open source.net my understanding is for example the mono team said find the garbage collector baby that's what <laughs> we want we can't make ours as near as performant as microsoft and so microsoft similarly was saying things like hey look well of course you know mono has been open source but microsoft was able to also benefit from that relationship obviously with xamarin studio xamarin forms and the customer base so neither and of them now, kind because of, it's. I mean, it would have been a horrible thing to think. Yeah, Microsoft comes out with the product, and now your mono can go away, and it's like, oh, really? So it's nice that they're they're living together. They're both sharing, you know, each other, you know, helping each other out. Yeah, in fact, I've heard um, Xamarin employees state and Microsoft employees both state that hey, it mono will be around for years. Uh, for that reason that we were just discussing, and for for other reasons as well. Oh, that's an awesome, yeah, that's a great thing because I have, you know, played with Mono in the past with like C Sharp and stuff. So it's nice that that, yeah, that, that, I mean, that work is years of work and hours and hours of work gone into this. So yeah, it's great that it isn't just going away because Microsoft decided, oh no, no, we'll, 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 we'll use this. It's like, oh, Unix systems and all this, you know, they're quite an interesting thing. Maybe we should be able to put our platform on there. And it's like, yeah, finally, finally you decide, you know, to do this, you know. Yeah, this is, you know, not like the microsoft of old where uh this would have been just another embrace and ex- uh, what is it extend embrace and extend i i've 
I forget the saying, but yeah, that was like the kiss of death. When Microsoft <laughs> bought you back in the in the dark times, we'll call them that. Yeah, they would buy you and you would disappear. That's it. Goodbye. It's like, yep, your product now has got any any competition. You know, they'll be like, goodbye. I mean, that, that I mean, right, it's great yeah. that we live in a world now where you know we have this choice and we have you know the, I mean exactly. the choice of languages, the choice of compilers, the choice of you know it's SLR to you know uh, sorry CLR to the JVM to all these languages and and then move. Moving on then, so we've got, you know, the Microsoft product, and then you've, you, you have, you know, you touched upon, you know, Erlang, Beam, um, and Elixir. So what, what experience have you played, you know, what have you been doing with Elixir then? Ah, wow. Working through the tutorial on the website. <laughs> and uh, Mind and being blown. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Trying to really grasp the concepts of their uh, model um, as it relates to it is the actor model, but they did not know that when uh, Joe Armstrong and uh, Robert Verding did not know that when they were developing it. The actor model was around, but uh, they came up with it completely and separately on their own. And the actor model was just, just as in just barely around at that time. I think, uh, I think one of your countrymen, I can't remember his name, had maybe, had maybe already published that. At, at any rate, Boy, the whole concept of a supervisor, a supervisor tree, managing processes or actors and uh, working off of messages, working via messages, is obviously a very powerful model. I mean, God, when you think that you can run Erlang on a Raspberry Pi and ramp up to literally hundreds of thousands of instances, processes, all executing simultaneously and separately separate processes and yeah i think what the the average size of a process in Erlang is 2k and so by extension elixir mental Absolutely it insane. is it, it is and how you have to think about program design and you know that's something else we didn't talk about in f sharp but functional program design that is it's that is, is the same when it comes to Elixir and that it's functional as it, it's a functional based language, but still it is some very different thinking even between the, uh, I mean, F sharp program design versus Elixir or Erlang program design is still very different. Uh, Elixir and slash Erlang, they, they are in a category unto themselves. And they and are like, they're almost like, absolutely, and they're almost like the true OO, aren't they? Objects, you know, where you have these yeah. objects that just pass, you know, messages, and there are mutable messages, and there's no, you know, there's no concept of you know state within, you know, you know these messages just go along, exactly. and there. I mean, I do feel you know, kind of swaying back to then the F sharp talk is yeah, mailboxes is a great way of kind of thinking about them. I put you know, here you go, here's something you know that you can look at, and pick up whenever you need, and act on it, and that's it really. Yeah, well put. Here's your message. That's it. Yeah, and take that and run. <laughs> absolutely, and and I think oh, we're, we're almost at the hour mark here. And what one thing I would really like to kind of, I mean, you know, we've been talking about all these functional languages, and you know, you you did just allude onto it, actually. It's like kind of the thinking functionally, um, and we actually spoke about it a little bit at the beginning where we were kind of like, oh, you know, you can kind of think functionally in these you know OO languages that we use day to day. But how has it really changed the way you think? Like when you're writing an F sharp program. 
what is so different to i mean obviously the syntax is different and some of the the core tech you know we've talked about pattern matching we've talked about the moment but fundamentally what what changes what 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 way you know you're solving the problem changes fundamentally for me the biggest shift was to think of solving problems in terms of data transformation you know forget about modeling things with objects forget about message passing even um and think of things strictly in terms of data in and data out and the only thing you have between those two design wise or thinking of it is a function so taking a function and transforming your inputs to your outputs and also known as deconstructing but it's it's and, and, you know, I have to say that's the best improvement I'm able to carry back to the PHP, to the object-oriented world, is problem deconstruction. Yeah. Breaking up a problem into small bits and dealing yes. tackling those little problems. And, yeah, I mean, because, as you said, you know, with the input-output and having a function in between, and that function should be referentially transparent where, you know, the same input that I put in will always give me the same output. So, exactly. in I could replace, you know, the function, the yeah. in and the function with just the output. and yeah, I mean, these languages are great at that because they give you data structures that are mutable. So they give you things that don't have side effects. Don't have, you know, and I, I now think of that where pass everything in that you want in the parameters and return something. Don't have magic, you know, with this and stuff. I mean, right. one thing actually, um, it, was a, it was a while back actually on the Functional Geekery podcast. Um, someone spoke about the fact of, you know, one way of thinking about this is having just you know, they were from the JVM, so they were from the Java stack. Of just having, because we were very lucky in PHP where we have first class functions. Uh, but like, right. of just having a st- classes with static methods. That's it. Yeah, have static yeah. methods. Static everything, methods. Co- everything comes in through the parameters, and you get something coming out, and you know that everything you need comes in there, and it makes testing so much easier because the setup process is just yes. those things that you're coming in, and and you'll be able to do the whole thing. You know, the whole good coding thing where you're like oh actually this is using this has got too many parameters this is dealing with too many things i need to break it up still you get the sync responsibility you'll, you'll still get these feelings you're still but only thinking in functions and transformations of those functions is a beautiful thing yes and it, it really is and until i had done this type of programming i you know i always what well, <laughs> it's hard to say but object-oriented programming really is well it looks a lot like spaghetti programming after you've gone and done a, uh, even a little bit of functional programming. I mean, you got messages flying all over the place. You got state you got, everywhere. <laughs> you got oh, state everywhere. Absolutely. And you enough what is it? Yeah, absolutely. It does. It is amazing how something that, you know, it, it, when you learn OO and you think, oh, modeling, you know, people, people actually say, and I think wrongly say, you're modeling the real world because really you're not. You're modeling the problem that you have. Modeling the real world is actually a really bad anti-pattern, yes. I feel, because you, you know, you can't think you that don't way. You don't want to do that. That's it. Yes. You don't, you know, and you've got a car with wheels and all this. It's like, well, you know, obviously that's a very trivial example that they, they say modeling the real world, but, you know, you're modeling the problem at hand with objects and it has got some very nice, things to it and again it's got its pros similar to any paradigm but yeah when you go into 
the world of functions as first class and that's it functional and you don't have state and you're not newing up instances you're not creating these classes you're not creating you know this this hierarchy of objects that you you have to kind of work out and understand what's going on and you've got all these design patterns around it you've got all you know it yeah it it really takes you back to, it, it simplifies your thinking um, simplifies it yes yeah it really and does. it does make it even even the little bit that i've done it's clear it does make your code easier to reason about absolutely and and thinking of especially in languages then with F, like f sharp and haskell i found that you think in types and you think of type transformations yes, um, yes you do and, and, you know, that way of like, okay, well, I don't actually, I mean, some people, and this is absolutely crazy, is that they just, they don't even think, they just think of, okay, what functions do I need in the form of just type declarations? You know, where I need something that will transform that to that, that to <laughs> yes. that, that to that. And then they'll, you know, build up from there. And and that to me is absolutely kind of decomposing the problem into yes. its most fundamental parts, you know, and it's, yeah, it's an absolutely great thing. It's exactly backwards from the way a traditional OO problem decomposition is done. Well, maybe not all OOs, but uh, PHP, certainly. We don't sit down and think about types. No, absolutely not. We're going to solve this problem in terms of types. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Whereas Idris, I understand, on the other hand, you define the types, and to a small degree, it can write the function for you based on the types. Absolutely correct. I mean, that Idris is one of those languages that is on my list. I've I've listened to a yeah. couple of talks and looking at dependent types and all. I mean, a dependent type to me is mind blowing. And I know that you can actually. I think you can kind of do it in F sharp, where the concept of a dependent type is it's something well that is dependent on another thing. Which in in the case of one of the trivial ones they give is in the sense of a vector or an array, uh-huh. where yeah. the append is you know whatever I currently have plus whatever I'm adding to, you know, the the value must be that length, you know, or something. So you're encoding in the type the fact of this, you know, this property, this invariant that must occur, that this, you know, the characteristics of that, where we don't get that with interfaces. I mean, I've I've banged on about it so many times with like stacks of what, (laughs) you know, you have an interface called with a stack and these functions, but you're not really defining the behavior of what really a stack should do and things within within that. And Mm. having that ability to do in the types is so powerful. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, something else I heard about Idris that I actually understand is uh, how they think in terms of a function taking in one type and returning another. That's the purpose of the function is to return a different type and maybe create that type dynamically. And the trivial example that they give there is something that we're any C programmer is familiar with uh, and any PHP f- programmer and it's print f and how you provide a format string and you provide a type but you return that's a function and it returns a different type so you might pass in a decimal and print it as a string that's a really good way of thinking of it and and that does actually with that invocation of that like one thing uh, that f sharp does um heavily kind of use uh, similar to haskell is the kind of concept of a one of currying essentially of this concept yes. you know where composition. every fun- composition and, and the function you know that a function has one parameter even though you may have a list essentially what it is is it's just a curried function which one parameter yes. 
then returns another function which then has an rt you know of one less you know where it's like i need another exactly. you know parameter and eventually it will return your you know what you actually want yeah. so that allows you to have this partial application free out of the box you don't have to explicitly say i want currying or anything it out of the box That's you right. get f sharp you in f sharp or all these you know the, some of these first you know these very functional languages is you just get the ability to be able to say in the case of having an add function i would like an increment function well add 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 one add to two. it. Add, yeah. add, this is it. Add is one, it? yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and you have this you know, ability to be able to say, okay, well, I'll have, I can compose that function out of this a function I already have because it's just, you know, partially applying it, currying it, you know, with having providing one of those already. Um, yes. And I mean, the, the, the real it, kind of, ma- oh, sorry, you, you go. No, no, no. It's, it's such a simple concept, but yet it was something that was so mind-blowing to me coming to functional programming because I'd never heard of currying. Uh, the thought of having a function that you didn't have to pass all the parameters to, oh, and, and it, it actually still works. works. Yeah, that's it. It returns <laughs> a function that, you know, of this brand new function, essentially, that has one less. And yeah, I mean. I, that wasn't enough. Oh, you mean I can pass in the rest of the parameters later and it still works? Without having to. I mean, then again, in the OO world, thinking I, I would have to make a whole brand new concept. You know, I, this would, you know, this wouldn't be the case. I would have to now, you know, upfront design each individual one with a parameter less and things like that. So, yes. Yeah, it's a really beautiful thing, currying. Um, and languages like JavaScript and you know they do allow you to do this like they're they're, you know and even with php you can you know go around you know kind of abstracting on top of it again f sharp and languages like that and haskell they out of the box give it to you so they're going to give you a much nicer fluid interface for that it's going to look a lot nicer in those languages but the concepts of currying i mean currying is a technical thing of trying to simplify really and it really does because if it's like you mentioned having one fun i provide one argument I return one argument or I return one parameter and I return, you know, one of one thing. And that one thing can, you know, essentially be a function, which is then with, a you know, the partially applied function, which in our case of the add one is yeah. just an add one function that you then provide another integer to or value to and it will increment that. Or in the case of a real value, I mean, some people do go into the whole thing of where well, you can essentially a type could be a tuple because you could have a tuple which has multiple things in. So, and that's true. And that's, uh, yeah, so you can take advantage of it that way. But yeah, thinking in just one type, like one thing, not having parameter lists that are infinite, just having this, you know, and, and yeah. creating simplifying. Yeah. That's it. And, and having building blocks, you know, where, you know, one thing actually I do find in the functional world where I, what I've taken back is really, how can I, you know, what are the, the base things that I can use and how can I reuse these and how can I, um, you know, I send like the, you know, addition or so, you know, the, these things where you have the base and how can I make functions from other functions, composing functions together to create exactly. new functionality because you can, I mean, you really can yes. do that. There's, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. I mean, things like closure where closure, everything, you know, which has, is, you know, you don't have to reinvent you know, you're using like say a map and uh, a list and stuff and you you can use a sos on it and everything can use a sos and you're using these generic things that are already been sold for you these common pattern data structures as opposed to in the oo world where you're going to be like representing a user and you're going to be and you're going to be yes. adding the same functionality again in another place yeah, it, that's right it's mind-blowing that we do this but we do on a day-to-day basis create it really it's, is it's 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 a very it's funny thing where you know in in the world of oo we're 
we feel oh yeah but you know it's just just domain specific and we think but then in say in the closure world particularly i find that you know i'm thinking of okay well i'm using a map here or i'm using a list these these are these you know i can use these and i can use them everywhere and they're ubiquitous and everyone understands them and and I, I, before I'd be thinking, oh, this is horrible. You just read, you know, why don't you use something that's very specific? You, you don't need to. Like, you can use these fundamental concepts and have functions again that just, you know, return, pass these in and return new thing, new state, new, new, um, you know, results. Yes. And, you know, one thing you said right there, Ed, made me think what, what all was I bringing back to the op or side of life and, from functional programming, just the functional programming, uh, yeah, sure, the concepts, but even the usage of the constructs, constructs built into the language, like map, like reduce, like uh, whatever they might be in your language of choice, uh, like in PHP, um, the syntax is a little wild, but yeah, you don't have to write a for loop every time you want to work with a collection. And not only do you not have to, but you're going to be yards and yards, or I guess as you would say in the UK, meters and meters ahead (laughs) if you don't. And if you instead use functions like list, map, reduce, filter, those are simple, but but really big wins. Really powerful because they're problems that have been solved all the time. Like, and the concepts are you, you again when you then start thinking of a map, you know a map's characteristic is it's going to go through every you know item in that list in in that sequence, whatever applying this function to. A filter is going to filter out things from the list and only give you something that's maybe the the exact length or maybe less than what you already yes. passed in. A reduce is mind-blowing. It can really compose any of these things, you know, reducing yes. a value from one value to another. Um, but these higher-order functions, these higher-order concepts, they, as you say, remove the whole need to have this imperative mindset of going through an I++. Why? Yes. You know, why do we do this anymore? We don't need to. Is it in or is it in minus one? That's exactly it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm working dear. with a collection of 10. Do I put 10 in the far loop or <laughs> do I put nine right here? It's fuck. Absolutely. It's these things which we, we have, t- we've kind of just taken and, you know, really thought this is what we, you know, th- just taking as this is fact. This is yeah. what we have to do. Yeah. Well, and it's just, yeah. Is this a zero based array or is it? <laughs> it's oh, just so many, Absolutely. so many instances where you're just going to win. I like that uh, expression I've heard so many people use with functional programming. It makes it easy for you to fall into the pit of success. Uh, that is a great i think that is a perfect way to end it jimmy because thank you so much again i could talk to you for oh, hours yeah. i really could um but you so know, could I, I. <laughs> but i think you know what we'll do then is, i think is we we'll definitely have to do this sooner than a year but um yeah. though it's audience it's been another great episode jimmy again thank you so much for coming on and uh we'll speak to you again next week goodbye bye you've been listening to three devs and a maybe you can contact us at contact at 3devsandamaybe.com or follow us on Twitter at the number 3, Devs and a Maybe. <laughs>